0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: Mr. Gorbachev,
0: teared down
1: this wall. The era of big government is over.
0: President Review, a podcast review of all 45 presidents from Washington to Trump. New episodes every Friday on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. To politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, we'll talk about Trump's State of the Union, more controversy in Virginia, and more. Ticks weekly uh we are here with jimmy davis thank you for joining me today
2: thanks for having me nolan appreciate it
0: of course now you have a podcast called the moderate podcast um would you like to tell people uh, a little bit about what that's about who are listening right now
2: yeah so eh, we've been on the we've been on since about august and uh it's just uh, time for me to just kind of rant about what's going on, you know, in the week or any subject that comes to my mind. It's not always necessarily um, things that are in the news of the day, but um, I kind of like to take things on an issue by issue basis. I don't really identify as a true conservative or true liberal. Um, I just kind of think take things on a case by case basis. And um, so some some issues that I do have, you know, stances that that lean more conservatives and others that are more uh, liberal. Um I think probably a little bit more conservative than liberal and I'm, I'm fiscally, you know, maybe more closer to a libertarian where I'm fiscally conservative and, and socially liberal. Hmm. So, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much what the show is about. I try to make it, you know, entertaining and put a little humor to it. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Why don't we get
0: into the news then? Um, so the first story uh, we're going to talk about is Donald Trump may have his first, primary challenger uh, soon. Now, obviously, typically during presidential elections, uh, it is uncommon that uh, the president has uh, much major uh, party opposition. Uh, The last time uh, any president had even a significant opposition was George Herbert Walker Bush in 1992 when he was primaried by Pat Buchanan. And even then, he was running against somebody who wasn't an, an elected official. The last time we actually had an elected official run against an incumbent or actually primary, a sitting member of his party, uh, was in 1980 uh, when Jimmy Carter was primaried by Ted Kennedy. Um, however, it looks like that's about to change um, right now Bill Weld if you remember uh, former governor Bill Weld uh Republican fr- from Massachusetts um, he was governor from 1991 to 1997 um he uh became uh he was a nominee for uh for ambassador to Mexico although that never went through he uh he ran for governor of New York in 2006 and you may remember he ran for uh, the, he was the Libertarian nominee for vice president uh, in 2016 on the ballot with Gary Johnson. Well, he's officially left uh, the Libertarian Party, and he has rejoined the Republican Party. Um, but he has actually scheduled uh, an announcement in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, on February 15th regarding the potential for a uh, presidential run Um, Now, many people believe that this is almost proof that he's going to run. Um, This is almost like proof in the pudding that Weld is going to run, because why would he set up an announcement in Concord, New Hampshire, just to go down, just to fly down and say, I'm not running for president. Um, So most people believe this is confirmation that Bill Weld is in and that he's going to primary Trump for the Republican nomination. Uh, the uh, Ronna McDaniel, uh, the, uh, uh, the chairman or the chairwoman of the uh, Republican Party, the National Republican Party, has said that uh, she has said that he should not run. She said that he is welcome to run on the libertarian line, as he was rumored to do. Um, but she said she does not want him to run for president on the Republican line. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Bill Weld potentially primarying Donald Trump, Donald Trump finally potentially having his first primary challenge?
2: Well, I think that um, it's not surprising that someone would come up and try to, to, primary, um, to, to primary Donald Trump, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, it's a very polarizing figure, even within his own party, although the the, the political machine, so to speak, the leadership in the Republican Party has obviously stood behind the president. And even as the, the primaries kind of or the, the midterm elections kind of pointed out, um, the states, the, the, the candidates that Trump supported tended to do better than the ones that didn't seek his support. So the establishment is still behind him, but obviously there's a lot of angst and a lot of um, uncomfortableness. About where Donald Trump is going to be um, come you know, come later this year and into twenty twenty, I think that you know it, it'll really depend on how uh, the how Mueller's report comes out and if the Democrats try to take action in terms of impeachment um, to where how how successful a primary uh, challenge would be. Um, I think that he would still end up getting the nomination, um, but again with, with a less diluted field. Um, It would be interesting to see how he did. I think part of the reason that Trump was able to be successful in the primaries in 2016 is because there were so many people in it. And you didn't have you had so many established people in the party running. They kind of diluted the vote and it really gave a voice to the people that were just, you know, had the, the enough is enough crowd, as I guess you could say. So I'm not again I'm not surprised given the how polarizing Trump is. Um, that he's going to get challenged. I don't know if Bill Weld is going to be, you know, a big uh, a big threat to him in terms of name recognition and, and policies and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, if you get some more prominent Republicans actually throwing their hat in there, then it could become a little more interesting. But I don't think uh, Bill Weld would be much of a threat uh, to Trump at this point.
0: Do you think that, because Bill Weld, uh, o- over many years, has tried to have this more centrist platform. Well, he's changed his position on a lot of issues, especially since he eventually became a libertarian and ran with Gary Johnson on the ticket. Um, but uh, he's changed his position, but or er, he's had a generally moderate, almost left-leaning stance on many uh issues, especially social issues. Um, in uh, he. He uh, assigned essentially what was the equivalent uh, of the New York Safe Act into law when he was uh, governor of Massachusetts. Um, for those who don't know, the New York Safe Act here in New York is uh, a uh, is a bill. It's a gun control bill uh, to try and ban assault weapons here in the state of New York. Uh, he essentially did that in Massachusetts, um, and that bill still uh, remains the law to the state. Um, he's been pro-choice most of his life, uh, pro-gay marriage. Um, do you think many of these, do you think he'll have to change his stance if he wants to have any shot, even a 1% shot of winning the Republican nomination? Um, do you think you're, we're going to see a more conservative Bill Weld? Uh, or do you think we're just going to see the the same Bill Weld we've seen for, for the last 20 years.
2: Well, I, I certainly believe that if he were going to, if he, if he wants to have a chance with the, in the primaries, he's going to have to shift to the right. And that's part of the problem I have. I, I think that we have with the two party system that we have now is because of all, you know, all the resources are being pulled towards those. And I've had this theory before where the reason it's going to perpetuate itself is because that's where all the money's going to go. Cause that's where all the, where all the power is. But it's all the power comes, goes away from there. The money's going to continue to go there no matter how you know, good, bad or indifferent their policies are. So, you know, he, he's in a situation where I think he would actually do better in a general election than he may do in a primary election because of the mm. fact that you only have one side or the other um, voting on, in, in a particular primary. So. You know, again, I think he'd have to move to the right to get to get the nomination and then try to move back to the center to win to win an election. But I think that people are going to see through that. Um, Usually you have people that are more politically connected that vote during primaries um, that uh, that pay attention to issues. And they're going to you know, they're going to call him out for his 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 for hypocrisy um, because of the fact that, you know, he's 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 flip flopping on these position on these uh, on these issues. So I think ultimately um, he, he, he may have to try to move to the right, but it might not be believable um, because they may just say, you know, he's just saying this just to get the votes. He doesn't really believe it. Um, you'll, you know, Trump can say, look at what I've done. And again, that's why it's always hard to challenge, a, you know, a sitting president in a primary, especially because the party that is in power, you know, the party of the president is going to tend to be more supportive of the president and he can point to exactly what he's done. Um, in office, and the in the in the in the same party is going to probably eat that up. So, uh, I I don't think he's going to do I, I don't think he'd do that well because of his past positions and trying to trying to shift in his positions would be probably not too believable. But again, I think it's something that would count that would that would play better to to the general election than it would in primaries.
0: Interesting. Um, now, you were talking about a little bit earlier about uh, the Mueller report. And the potential uh, that it could have. Do you think if there's something really spicy in the report, uh, if Democrats uh, move to try and impeach the president, do you think that there's any uh, potential for them to actually be successful? Because they would need quite they they would need quite a few Republicans to falter in the U.S. Senate uh, to uh, to actually uh, evict him from office. Do you think that there's any? Potential, though, that that could happen um, if uh, there is actually some damaging information uh, in the Mueller report? Or do you believe uh, that uh, Republicans would stick by their president if that were the case?
2: I don't. I think that you're going to see a situation there where you probably would get a impeachment resolution passed in the house and you wouldn't get enough votes to contend in the senate there may be some republicans some moderate republicans that may shift to the to the democrats on that one but it's not going to be enough they're not going to hit the two-thirds majority and and the reason i think that's you know the the founding fathers i think did did a uh, did this on purpose they didn't want the impeachment um you know just like constitutional amendments there's three quarters of the states have to approve them and you have to have you know, supermajority in both the House and the Senate to pass those things. They, they did it that way because they didn't they wanted to be only used in extreme cases, whether or not what the what is found in the Mueller report is extreme enough case. I'm not sure. I think there will be some damaging things that could hurt them politically for the 2020 election. But I don't think it's going to be enough to necessarily um, sway enough Republicans to um, come out and, and vote. Uh, to convict him um, in an impeachment hearing honestly though i think that they've set this up in a way that even if the Mueller report has some damning things in it it's not going to be enough to sway people because they're just going to say well this is a political witch hunt and he's he's built that case up this whole time and i don't think it's going to be in a case with like it was with nixon where um you know nixon resigned before he was impeached um I think Donald Trump has too big of an ego for that to happen. Interesting. Now, do
0: you think in a general election, if there is damaging information in the Republican uh, Senate and uh, maybe even some Republicans in the House uh, don't uh, move action against him? Do you think that that could lead uh, that that could hurt? Trump uh, in uh, in 2020, or potentially even uh, Republicans in the Senate races in 2020.
2: I believe so. I believe it actually could hurt them more um, in the in the congressional races than it would hurt the presidential uh, race, because I think that I think Trump's vulnerable anyway, um, and I think that would I, I think a really damning um, report from Mueller would probably put the nail in his coffin for that, um, but. The problem that this is I've always thought that this is kind of the Democrats to lose at this point. Um, I think that he's kind of in the similar situation that we were with George Bush in 2004. Um, George W. Bush was a very beatable um, president at that time. And um, and then then they then the Democrats run John Kerry, you know, probably the worst person they could have run against George W. Bush. And he beat him. And he actually, you know, it wasn't even a controversial win like it was with uh, 2000. And so I think in 2020, um, unless the Democrats really screw the pooch on this one and put up a a, just a a candidate that is just, you know, I think problem with I had with Kerry, just seems so smug and so arrogant. And I think that people just were turned off by that. I think that if the Democrats put up somebody like that, that just is just, you know, you don't don't even want to hold your nose and vote for and they people just sit out the election instead of vote. Um, that might be the only way that Trump wins in 2020. I think people that, you know, voted for him that thought, oh, yeah, here's a businessman and blah, blah, blah. I think there, there's less and less people. There's still, he still has a good, solid base that will never leave his side, but I don't think it's a sizable, sizable enough of a base to really move the needle in that direction. So unless the Democrats put up somebody really bad, I don't know if the Mueller reports are going to matter that much. It may. It certainly would help. Um, even if it was an unpopular candidate, but I think, I think the, the thing that's going to dictate the 2020 election more than anything is going to be who the Democrats ultimately nominate.
0: Interesting. All right. Um, anything else you want to say on that issue or should we move on? We can, we can move on. Okay. So Trump's state of the union was this Tuesday. Uh, Trump talked about multiple different issues. Uh, He touched on uh, socialism uh, in Venezuela. He also touched on immigration, um, which, of course, is a very heated debate right now, as Trump is currently threatening to uh, shut down the government again uh, if Democrats cannot approve uh, funding for his border wall. Um, And um, he also touched on abortion, specifically the controversial bills um, that are currently sitting. Well, they've already one has already been passed, uh, in the New York State Legislature. Uh, the other has already is sitting in the Virginia State Legislature. Although that one's going to be harder to pass, as Republicans have a narrow majority in the Virginia State Legislature in both houses. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on uh, Trump's State of the Union? Also, what were your thoughts on uh, Democrat Stacey Abrams, Democrat from Georgia? Uh, what were your thoughts on her response? You know, to be honest
2: with you, I apologize. I haven't really got a chance to see um, her response. Can you kind of give me some of the, the high points on that? So the –
0: sure. sure. Uh, so some of the things she was talking about, um, she was talking a little bit about immigration. I think at one point she was saying um, that uh, the – uh, you know oh, compassionate uh treatment at the borders doesn't automatically mean open borders um so she did touch on immigration uh she also touched on jobs she also touched on gridlock which she blamed republicans for uh in uh in uh congress uh and said that when uh when the uh when she was in the minority, she even though she was often at odds with the Republican governor and the Republican speaker, she wouldn't shut down the government. So mainly uh, that and then also jobs. She talked about jobs as well. Uh, she talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, jobs and fiscal issues. Uh, so those were mainly the issues she talked about uh, during. Uh, her response to the State of the Union. Overall, the uh the response was much more positive than it is in past years. Uh, the State of the Union response is known to be historically bad, on both sides. Uh, you had um in two thousand and nine, uh when Barack Obama was president after his first State of the Union, uh, Republicans got then uh, Governor Bobby Jindal of uh, Louisiana to do the response many people uh, criticized Bobby Jindal's performance and ridiculed it um, and then in 2013 after the first state of the union of Obama's second term uh, Senator Marco Rubio of uh, Republican from Florida uh, also gave his response uh, and there was an infamous moment that people made fun of him for where he grabbed a water bottle and he started uh, just drinking out of the water bottle in the middle of his speech. Uh, many people thought that moment um, was uh, was uh, awkward. Uh, and then finally, well, no, then after that, there was um, uh, there was uh, uh, former governor, Steve Bashir, the governor of uh, Democrat from Kentucky, who gave the response to Trump's first state of the union. And he did it in a diner. Um, and I guess the thinking behind that was that they wanted – the Democrats wanted to get uh, back uh, voters. They were – by getting Steve Bashir because Steve Bashir had a lot of white working class appeal, and he could uh, – they, they felt that he had the ability um, to – well, he, he successfully uh, – uh, expanded Medicaid uh, in Kentucky when he was governor. So they got him, but then his performance was really bad. And uh, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, a uh, Democrat from Missouri actually said, uh, he said, listen, I'm willing to admit when I make a mistake and uh, getting Steve Bashir was a huge mistake. Um, so there was that. And then finally in 2000 and uh, last year they had, uh, Congressman Joe Kennedy, Democrat from Massachusetts, and he infamously he there was like sweat running down his face, and then he was salivating, and people were making fun of that. Um, so most people were saying, in comparison to those, Stacey Abrams did
2: a pretty good job. Um, you know, I think that, <clears throat> you know, the so the, the with the response, you know, sounds like it was pretty vanilla. Um, in terms of overall, um, it it sounds like it was tactful. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Again, I apologize for not being more up to speed on that. Um, It's been a crazy week. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think, you know, overall on, on, on the State of the Union, um, you know, this message of unity, of course, that's, that's kind of a canned response, right? I mean, we talk about how we want this unity and stuff. And then he goes into all the things about what they're not united about. And um, obviously we had the closure, the, the government closure um, on the border wall. We have another one looming um, coming up the next week if they can't resolve this. And it would be a shock if they did to me. Um, but overall, I mean, you know. The I, I have this thought on, on Trump versus Obama, and you know, people the whole mantra in 2016 was how bad Obama was and how he was the worst peasant country. And that's what the Republicans won on. And then now the Democrats are doing the same thing to Trump. Um, You know, again, I think that, you know, he, he's done, if you look at from a policy standpoint, you know, you have the tariffs, you have the tax cuts. Those are the major things he's done. And he talks about all, you know, all he's accomplished in the last two years and that he's accomplished more than anything, any other president. I don't really see that. I mean, he hasn't really done a whole heck of a lot. And he didn't do the one big campaign promise that he made um, in his 2016 election, which was to build the wall. Now, if you were just to come out and say, you know what? Um, You know, I've campaigned on the wall and I thought that's what we need to do. But after talking to the experts on, on, on the ground, maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe we need walls in some places. Maybe we need other technology in other places and talking to the guys on the ground. Because so I don't know how much he's still sold on this wall, but I think because his base is expecting it, you know, he's made the wall because it's, you know, the, the argument is about drug trafficking and um, human trafficking and crime at the border um, is the reason we need a wall. And we always hear these three or four talking points about why we need a wall, and that's it. Um, but I don't, I'm not necessarily sold on the fact that the Border Patrol, is that's what they all, all, that's all they need. And maybe maybe he's not even sold on it that much. But his you know supporters saying, no, you said you're going to build a wall. You need to build a wall okay. And Mexico is going to pay for it. And th- that, by the way, was um, a, a farce, to, in my opinion, because, you know, when he says that Mexico is going to pay for it, I never believed for a second that Mexico is literally going to write a check. And I don't think he did either. You know, if 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 illegal immigration gets cut down and if you believe that immigration is a net drain on our system by curtailing it, you're going to save money. And that would therefore pay for the wall. And that's how Mexico would pay for it because we wouldn't be supporting people that are coming from Mexico. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a tangent. Apologize. Um, bottom line is, you know, it was, it was an underwhelming performance, I think by Trump, um, you know, trying to call for unity and, um, you know, wasn't, it just wasn't that impressed. You know, one of the things that he actually is a true advocate for is childhood cancer. So I'm glad he did bring that up. Um, he has a real soft spot for, for kids going through illnesses. And I think that he's had that throughout his life. And if you want to talk about some, you know, time where he actually does have compassion, in his heart, that is definitely one of those areas. So I'm glad he did touch upon that. Um, and I think that's something that we can all agree that we would like to, to fight and to fund to, to, um, you know, eliminate that. So, um, but yeah, basically, I think it was an underwhelming performance. And I think that because it was an underwhelming performance, the, the the response really didn't really need to be attacked that much because it was just kind of a eh, type of type of, of speech.
0: How do you think it, uh, it held up to the other two speeches he gave in 2018 and 2017?
2: Um, I think that, you know, I've always thought that in the state of the union, he always kind of, he tones it down for, you know, but by his standards, you know, if you look at how he is on Twitter and how he is at his rallies, it certainly isn't that way. He's not talking off the cuff. He's got his speechwriters and he sticks to the script. And so I think that, you know, that's why maybe it's a little bit, it does seem a little underwhelming because that's not the Donald Trump we're used to seeing. And so, um, and that, it, it, from that standpoint, it is a little bit contrived, I think, um, in terms of how he is and what he's saying at the State of the Unions, because we know of all the other you know speeches he gives and what he you know how he is on Twitter and things like that, that that really isn't the real Donald Trump. And so I, I you know comparing it to the other two, I think it has actually been was a little more subdued than they have been in the last two years. Um, but also it's because you know he was now facing for the first time. Um, A minority in his party. Um, There was more people of the opposite party in the audience than there was in the past. And so I think that probably plays into how um, how the speech is given as well.
0: All right. Uh, Anything else you wanted to touch on?
2: No, we can we can move on.
0: All right. So uh, this has been a crazy state of Virginia, as we talked about uh, on the, the last episode. Uh, There were allegations, or well, uh, right now there's a whole controversy uh, with Governor Ralph Northam, Democrat from Virginia, uh, because of the fact that he, um, there was a yearbook photo that showed next to his name, which showed an individual, one individual in blackface, uh, standing next to another uh, individual in uh, Ku Klux Klan garb. Um, But uh, initially he... Uh, said he was the person uh, in uh, blackface, although he later went on to say that he had looked at it closer and he wasn't in the photo at all. However, he did say he darkened his face uh, to um, to portray uh, Michael Jackson or to impersonate Michael Jackson in a dance uh, contest in college. Um, but then the second in line, Justin Fairfax, another Democrat who's the current lieutenant governor of uh, Virginia, he got accused, uh, of sexual, uh, assault, uh, by a woman, uh, at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, but now, uh, things are getting a little bit more interesting. So the third in line, um, to be, uh, governor, uh, is the attorney general, uh, who is currently, uh, uh democrat mark herring but now he is admitting that he did uh blackface when he was young as well he's saying that when he was in college he impersonated a rapper that he was a fan of and he darkens his face for that reason um we also know that uh ralph norman a republican uh the he's the uh the majority leader in the virginia state senate he apparently, uh, he apparently was in charge of yearbook photos for his school in nineteen sixty-eight, and he, uh, he published pictures of, uh, people in, uh, in he published pictures of people in blackface. So people are going after him for that. It should be noted that if Ralph Northam ends up resigning and Justin Fairfax. And Mark Herring are unable to take office. The fourth in line would actually be a Republican, uh, Kirk Cox, who's the current president of the Virginia House of Delegates. But what are your thoughts on all these controversies uh, going on with all these public officials, m- mostly about race uh, in Virginia?
2: Boy, uh, yeah, they've had some <laughs> they've had some challenges, uh, to say the least, in that state. And I think that. You know, as you point out, I think because of, you know, maybe because of the circumstances that they're under currently in terms of the people that are second and third in line and the Democrats, or at least Northam as a Democrat, is looking at going, well, I can't really, I can't really hand off the reins to the lieutenant governor at this point. The uh, attorney general is going through the same thing I'm going through. So the next one in line is a Republican, and we don't want that to happen. So we'd rather have me stay in place with this controversy looming over in my head. But. You know, I, I thought it was bizarre. It seems bizarre to me that he would look at the photo and say, yep, I apologize. I did that. It was me. It was I was it was wrong. And then looked at it again and goes, wait a minute, that isn't me. Um, I would think that if you're going to go out on a limb and, and issue this apology, you would have done your due diligence to make sure that you knew exactly what that photo was, where it came from, and you vetted it thoroughly before you come out and said anything. That's why... When you have these kind of controversies, people don't always come out and make a statement right away, because of the fact that they need to do their due diligence that and they need to prepare for you know it's a chess game and they got to go two two or three movement moves ahead. But I think that this this goes to a bigger issue, and I think it, it this crosses party lines because we've had controversies, you know, and it's it's interesting that you know the lieutenant governor is accused of sexual assault. Now we're going to have are we going to apply the same standard that we applied to Brett Kavanaugh? Um, in September. Now, of course, the lieutenant governor of Virginia and the in a Supreme Court, a potential Supreme Court justice are two very different things. But nonetheless, they're public figures in in, 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 in in places of authority. But I think this plays to a bigger issue. And that is that if you look at a lot of these controversies, they're surrounding things that happen in high school and college. And I have this theory that I've come up with late of, of seeing these things lately. And that is that a lot of these controversies i think come out of um people that are politicians and in the political in public face that they they have a certain personality trait that wants that craves attention and they love attention and and i think that's what draws them to public office in these higher uh, higher powers because sometimes you have people that actually just want to do something good for the community and maybe they'll get on their city council or their school board and that's as far as they go but the ones that go farther and farther up the chain in terms of politics, I think it's more about it's not it's less about policy making, more about attention. So when you get to, um, you know, that that and you find these common threads about people that are doing blackface and these outrageous things when they're in high school and college, I think it's to get attention. And I think that um, you know you do outrageous things, you get attention, and now and, you know the modern day thing of that is to get followers on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And to get likes um, and, and those kind of things. And, and that's that's how you get attention in, in the modern day. But it, I think it's all about having, you know, being outrageous and being uh, provocative. And that's why I think so many of these types of things are, are happening with politicians. I don't think it's something that's um, prevalent in society. I think it's more limited to people that just crave attention in general. And that's what drove them to public office. So. So it's not surprising to see that these things are crossing party lines. I I think it has nothing to do with politics. I think it has to do with more of getting attention. Now, having said that, I think Northam, um, you know, just just based on the way he's handled this should resign for incompetence, because how do you say you apologize for something and you go, oh, wait, I I wasn't me. I was actually going to I was actually impersonating Michael Jackson, and oh, by the way, let me show you my moonwalk. To his wife goes, "Hey, uh, that's bad form." So he says, "Okay, you know what? Maybe I won't do that." Um, it's just, it's just bizarre. It's crazy, and um, I don't know if it, if it ultimately he's not resigning because he the the two people behind him have controversies of their own. But um, boy, they just they've got a mess on their hands in that state right now, and uh, I don't I don't envy them in the least.
0: Now, whether he resigns uh, or not, do you think um, this hurts, if he stays in, um, do you think uh, this hurts Democrats in future elections in Virginia? Um, uh, for, for example, uh, there, uh, we know Mark Warner, the senator, is up uh, in two years. Um, could, that hurt, uh, could that hurt them in that election? Uh, some people think that election might be competitive. Could that hurt them there? Uh, and then also in, uh, in 2021, 20, uh, when there's the next uh, governor's race, do you think there is a potential that that could hurt Democrats, or is it too early to tell? I
2: think it's too early to tell because I think to, to Democrats' credit, a lot of de- prominent Democrats have called for uh, his resignation. And so if you're running for office in Virginia – And you have a Republican that says "See, he's the party that of blackface, you know, they start making those those accusations. They can say, hey, in those particular cases, I I actually call for the guy to resign. I can't control ultimately what what an individual does. If the governor governor is being called to resign and refuses to do it, what am I supposed to do about that? All I can do is go out there and publicly state that I think he should resign. So as long as the Democrats as a as a party continue to um, say that, you know what, this wasn't right. He should just, he should step aside. Um, I think that would, um, I don't think it'll hurt the party as much, but I think certainly him as a governor, um, would be, would be hurt by this because all, you know, as long as, as long as the Republican running against them doesn't have any kind of similar skeletons in his closet, but, you know, or his or her closet, but you never know. Um, you never know what that, what can be out and is, the social media, it's so easy to just distribute and disseminate things that you've done in the past. Um, you know, that they, the, the Republicans would have to be very careful as to making sure that they have a relatively sweet <laughs> candidate that can't then be, um, say, okay, well, he did this, but you did that type of thing. Um, that would be, uh, probably the only thing that could bring them down. But I think it makes him as an individual vulnerable. But I think the party. Um, because there's been condemnation of it, because there's been calls for a resignation, I think the party um, won't be as hurt by it. I think it's it's enough of a swing state to where it could make a difference um, more so than it wouldn't like in if that happened in California. It wouldn't it wouldn't affect Democrats um, probably very much at all. It would just hurt the individual. I mean, you would just find another Democrat to take their place. But um, in terms of a state like Virginia, I mean, yeah, it could it could potentially hurt. But I think the timing of it helps them a little bit because. Um, you know, we're we, we have a lot of short term memory in this country and so controversies that happen um right after an election cycle tend to not hurt as much as ones that happen right before an election cycle.
0: Um, and do you believe personally and morally that um the second and third in line uh Fairfax and Herring should step down because of their scandals? Uh,
2: you know, I think that with with the sexual assault um scandal, I think that I would take the same uh, tactic as Kavanaugh. You know, it's a long time ago. Um, it's now coming. It's coming forward now. The timing is suspect, um, especially since that, you know, he's in a situation where he could actually end up, you know, being the governor of Virginia if, if Northam steps down. Um, and so I, I just I, I have some suspicion on the timing of it. But um, also, I'm very sensitive to sexual assault. I, I don't have any tolerance for it at all and if there's truth, if there's, if this is true, then I absolutely believe he should step aside. Um, and, and he, he knows and the accuser knows, and that's about it. And that's, that's the problem with these things, especially when you have um, something from so long ago. But I mean, I, I never once in my life as a man ever thought, um, of ever sexually assaulting a woman, no matter what my state of, of sobriety was. Um, that never even crossed my mind. So for, you know, if, if he's done it once in, in that, in that fashion, then, then likely he's done it again. But again, if I, I'd like to make sure that it was, you know, I don't want him to be to resign over a false accusation. Um But on the other hand, if it is true and he knows in his heart, it's true. Um, it would, I would definitely like to see him side in terms of the attorney general. Um, again, you know, he's admitted the same thing. And if I think if we're going to apply the same standard to Northam and that he should resign, then the AG should resign as well.
0: Interesting. Anything else you want to say on this issue? I think we we can move on. All right. So Bill Barr, the former attorney general who wants to be U.S. Attorney General again, has been confirmed by the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Uh, He will now go in front of the full Senate floor. Uh, It is expected, although some people have controversies with him, it is expected that he will probably get confirmed due to the increased majority Republicans uh, gained in the United States Senate uh, as of November. Uh, What are your thoughts on him moving to the Senate floor?
2: Um, I think that, you know, obviously with the Republicans still in charge, um, I think that he will get confirmed. Um, And I I think that, you know, the choice is is a, um, I think it's a safe choice. I think he's been in the position before um you know he 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 knows you know he's got a long history in the business um i think i think his his nomination will pass and i think he'll be just fine um ultimately i think that if he um, ends up going into the ag's office i think that um he's going to uh, i i think that the Mueller. i don't think it's going to impact the Mueller investigation for example um i, I, I I think it's a fine, fine choice. And I think that he'll, he'll get confirmed. I don't think there's going to be real any, any issue there.
0: All right. Uh, anything else you want to add? or nope. is that a... All right. So uh, let's move on then. So um, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, Democrat from Minnesota is set to make uh, an announcement uh, this weekend, this Sunday, as to whether she is running for the presidency. Um, what are your thoughts on Amy Klobuchar potentially getting
2: in? Um, I'm not really um, uh, familiar, much familiar with her, but here, here's, my, here's my stance kind of in general on the Democrats. I think it, it, it's going to get to the point where it's going to be easier to, um, to talk about people that aren't in the race uh, because there's just so many that are getting into it. And, um, and it was, and it's still early. There's still going to be plenty of time for people to actually get into the race. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I think that it comes down to is if the Democrats are going to put up ultimately nominate the right person, the problem's going to be the more people that get into it, the more chances you have somebody to, to really, be very, very liberal and left wing that might not play as well in a general election. Um, that's where I think that this could get screwed up. I think the more people you get into it, the, the harder it would be for a moderate Democrat to get the nomination. I think that's exactly I, again, like I said earlier, I think that's how that's how we ended up with Donald Trump, because there was just so many Republicans in the 2016 primaries that. Um, you know, they kind of diluted the tr- the more traditional Republican voters that were necessarily uncomfortable with the establishment. Um, and that's what that's the, the result was. You got Trump because, you know, Trump was only, you know, even getting, you know, even his most successful in the, in the high teens or you know, low 20s in terms of the total vote because you had so many to choose from. So it wasn't like the majority of the Republican Party was you know, on board with him. And I think that's the problem you're going to run into with the Democrats. As long as you keep getting these, you get more and more people, you start diluting that vote, you're going to have a real problem on your hands. And I don't know, I don't know how much of a player she's going to be um, in the, in the election. Um, obviously she hasn't made a big name of for herself. Like, you know, I think my, you know, I was joking on my show before that uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, even though they've just formally announced they informally announced their their intentions to run for president at the at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. So, um, you know, they've already they already kind of had a, a, a head start. Elizabeth Warren, because she's been outspoken, has gotten a head start. So she's going to have a hard time um, in a crowded space. I think people that are, are really connected to politics follow really closely, um, will be able to identify with her politics. But, you know, for far, you know, by and large, the name recognition just isn't there like it is with others.
0: Do you think that this could all help, like a Bernie Sanders type of candidate, um, or do you think it, it's somebody like a different type of leftist than Bernie? I, Sanders? I
2: absolutely do believe it could it could help that because Bernie Sanders had a had quite a following um, in twenty sixteen, and I think that if he decides to run again. That they're gonna that they're gonna get behind him again, and I think he's gonna be very popular. And I think that you'll have the same situation with Donald Trump. Whereas the more traditional, you know, party Democrats are going to, you know, are going to dilute the vote among amongst each other, and he's gonna write just rise to the top. Um, so I absolutely believe that could mm. be the case.
0: Do you think it would help them or hurt them to get a more moderate candidate? I,
2: I think it would help them. Um, I think that people would have a harder time that, especially if they, you know, they might not necessarily, you know, they may have even supported Trump in 2016. And now that they've seen what, how he is and and what he's done, I think a lot of the independents would, would more gravitate towards a moderate Democrat because of that um, exactly because they're moderate. But I think they would have a harder time going to somebody that's a hard leftist in, in like a Bernie Sanders, because if you combine a Bernie Sanders and you get more, progressive uh, socialist type candidates in the in the Senate and or in the House and maybe even in the Senate that could move legislation um, towards most, more socialistic policies. I think that that there, there's enough people that are uncomfortable with that in this country that either may sit out the election or may um, or, or may just hold their nose and vote for Trump because you'll, you're voting for the evil, you know, versus the evil you don't. Um, and I think mm. that that could, that was that, like I said earlier, that's I think what could, you know, if the Democrats shoot themselves in the foot by putting up somebody <laughs> that's the polar opposite of Donald Trump in terms of maybe not necessarily personality, but by policy, because by, po- you know, from a policy standpoint, Donald Trump actually isn't that conservative um, in terms. you know, I think Mike Pence, you know, for example, is a much more conservative person than, than, than Donald Trump is. It's his personality that is so polarizing. Whereas Bernie Sanders, you know, personality wise is just fine, but it's his politics that are polarizing. So is it more dangerous to have a personality that's polarizing or politics that are polarizing? That's the question that people are going to have to answer in 2020. But if you have a moderate um, to me, you know, personally, I I would actually probably be me personally. I would support a moderate uh, Democrat um, if, if they were up against Trump.
0: Interesting. All right. Anything else you want to say on this issue? We're good. Okay. So um, uh, former Congressman John Dingell has died. Uh, Dingell was the longest serving congressman uh, in history. Um, He served for 59 years in the House of Representatives. He took over for his father, who served, uh, John Dingell Sr., who served 22 years uh, in the in the House of Representatives, um, Dingell served from 1955 to 2015. He was uh, the dean of the House. For those who don't know, the dean of the House is the um, the senior member, or who, who's who, whoever has been in the in the House of Representatives the longest. Essentially, gets to be the dean of the House, and you get this very prestigious office uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Right now, uh, uh, Republican Don Young from Alaska is the dean of the House. But, um, yes, so he uh, was the dean of the House for almost 20 years from 1995 uh, to 2015. Um, Actually, for precisely 20 years, he was the dean of the House. Um, His wife, uh, Debbie Dingell, currently serves uh, in his seat in the House of Representatives uh, he died, uh, on uh on Thursday night at the age of 92, or at least it was reported on Thursday night that he had passed at the age of 92. Uh, what are your thoughts on the passing of John Dingell? Um, I think it's a
2: sad day. I think that he, he represented really a, an age of decorum. You know, you could I think that the, the, the Congress historically up until the last you know few years and actually when he when he stepped down, one of the reasons he stepped down was because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't like where, where the, where, where we were going and our partisanship and, and, and how uh, we didn't have that decorum that we used to. And so he comes from an age that, you know, you could have Republicans and Democrats, but they could still sit down and have a, have a conversation, a a level-headed conversation about um, their, about their differences. And he represented an age that that happened in. And so, um, even though even though he was a Democrat, maybe I didn't I wouldn't agree with everything that that he would stand for. At least there was decorum there, and you could actually get policy done, and there was some compromise. So I think that his passing kind of is a you know it, it, it's a symbolism of of where where we used to be and how now you know with his passing it kind of it's it, it with him died an age of of you know just like with with John McCain when John McCain passed away. Um, you know, a very, you know, Republican that would, that could get along with the other side and, and was modern in a lot of different ways. Um, he kind of represented some, some decorum and, 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 and uh, ability to, ability to, to legislate um, for, for the good and not necessarily just because of party politics and, and, and calling other people, you know, each other names and things like that. So um, it, it's, a, it's a sad day. And, um, you know, I'm mourned for his family, Um, obviously very popular in his district with his wife now representing the district. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a sad day. And I think it's a symbolism of of where we've come.
0: Interesting. All right. Anything else you want to say on that issue?
2: All right. Why
0: don't we move on then? Um, So uh, right now. um, uh, okay. so. Right now, Senator Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat from Hawaii, uh, is in the presidential race. Um, but she, she, she may face some problems with uh, the Democratic Party because this week, uh, uh, K- former KKK wizard uh, and white nationalist David Duke um, uh, formally endorsed her uh, for the Democratic uh, nomination he put up a banner on his twitter page that said tulsi gabbard 20 or tulsi 2020 finally a candidate that puts america first um tulsi gabbard did denounce uh his uh his endorsement um however she did and anna- she did release uh, an official um an official statement uh uh denouncing uh, David, uh, Duke. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, uh, on David Duke, uh, supporting Tulsi Gabbard for president? Uh,
2: I think obviously it hurts her, but you know, she's going to, of course, um, distance herself immediately. I would, I, I would hope that most candidates would, um, no matter what party they're in. Um, I think it's a little bit contrived if, if David Duke is actually supporting a, a, a Democrat, especially when you have Donald Trump in there, who's, you know, I think that, I think he's been a little bit there's been a little bit too much of a harshness on Donald Trump in terms of when it comes to um, uh, racism and things like that. He that he perpetuates himself and maybe he his absence of words against white supremacy is is part of that. But I still have I still have some issues with people just saying he's an out and out racist. But the fact that David Duke would endorse her over, uh, like, say, like, say, Donald Trump. Um, and go across the party line. I think there's a little bit of um, there may be some projection there, because I think that maybe David Duke understands his polarizing nature. And um, if he if he if he endorses somebody that uh, on the Democratic side that he thinks is a real threat to the Republican Party and to Donald Trump, um, maybe by throwing her his name behind him, it could hurt her. Because um, I think she actually does. I think she's one of those that does have um, a chance to to do well because of her uh, military background. Um, so she's going to get a lot of people, a lot of veterans that may support her, even though she's a Democrat. So I think she could get people to cross over party lines um, for, for various reasons, um, including that. And um, that could be a reason that this was done. Um, I just I, I have my suspicions as to it not being a genuine um uh, endorsement
0: uh, interesting now um, now Tulsi Gabbard um, what was I gonna say oh she she's of uh, she's of South Asian descent which is which makes it a little bit uh, more interesting uh, do you think that that adds more fuel to the theory that he's doing this to try and sabotage her chances uh, of winning the Democratic
2: nomination? It could. I, I think that it absolutely could. Um, you know, if you're a white supremacist, um, you're going to, in and you have a minority candidate that seems to be popular, um, you may do whatever it's necessary, even if you want to sit there and say, yeah, I support this person. Um, knowing that, um, you know, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge to your, to your base and knowing what that could, you know, it, it could give enough people pause to go, wait a minute, maybe there's something I don't know about her. I'm a little leery of her, maybe I'm going to go in a different direction. Um, so there is, there could be, uh, very well, could be something to that, yes.
0: Interesting. All right, anything else you have to say on that issue, or now we can move on? on. Okay, so Trump is apparently considering Herman Kane to be appointed to the U.S. Federal Reserve. Uh, Herman Kane was, of course. He was a former CEO, uh, former businessman. Um, and he was also the 20, he was also a candidate, uh, on the Republican side for president in 2012. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, potentially, uh, being appointed to the, to the fed? Um, I think
2: that, um, I think he'd be, a, I think he'd be an okay choice. Um, Again, I, I, the only thing is that I, I, the, with, the, with the chairman of the Fed, I, I don't want that to be as much of a political um, position. Obviously, it's a point, you know, it's a supportment of, support of the president that's required. But, um, you know, I, I actually, when he ran in 2012, I actually liked Herman Kane. I thought he was a good candidate. I think he was reasonable on a lot of issues. Um, and his business background, I think, definitely helps. Um, so I think that he, and, and I think also... I think there's part of that also is trying to, you know, a little a little projection from Trump to say, look, I'm putting up a minority to uh, be the chairman of the Fed. I think he would be the first African American um, chairman of the Fed, and um, is that is that correct?
0: So I I think that you
2: know he would be able to use that also politically, um, and I think, but but from an actual qualification standpoint, I think he'd be he'd be a good choice.
0: interesting all right uh should we move on to the next issue all right so i think this is the last yeah this Mm -hmm. is the last issue we have on here um so former congressman uh and uh senate candidate beto o'rourke has uh been in many has been at the top of many polling uh uh platforms um uh, as one of the top, as one of potentially the top contenders uh, for president of the United States in 2020. Um, and uh, so apparently he is planning to make a decision at the end of February uh, as to whether he is going to make a run for the presidency uh, in 2020. Uh, O'Rourke uh, uh, challenged uh, incumbent Senator Ted Cruz uh, in the uh in the 20, uh, the 2018, uh, Texas Senate race, he lost by only about two points. What are your thoughts on Beto O'Rourke? Um, you know, I
2: think I, I can understand why he's a popular choice because he went, he almost took Ted Cruz down. And I think that, you know, Ted Cruz is a very, uh, polarizing figure. I think that the Democrats, um, have a lot of problems with Ted Cruz and, um, So I think that's why, you know, and he came so close to dethroning him in a state that's so red. Um, I I think, you know, that's what he, you know, he's kind of, it's kind of a little, he's like kind of become a little hero to the Democrats. But I I just, I am concerned about his, his, his um, experience. You know, he sat on, um, you know, his experience, his political experience, you know, obviously is still more political experience than Donald Trump. Um, but he was on the, um, you know, El Paso city council for six years. And then he was on, he was in the house for six years. That's not a lot of experience. And I think there are people um, on, but then, then again, if you look at the, a lot of the candidates running, they don't have a lot of po- political experience either. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that he, I, I think because of the, how he did against Ted Cruz in, in the, um, in the senatorial campaign, I think he would actually have a good chance against Donald Trump. I mean, he's young, um, he's, you know, he's charismatic. And I think that helps, that goes a long way um, when it comes to a general election. Again, I think, I don't know how he's going to, I think he'd fare well, even in a primary, just because of the fact that he got so far against, um, you know, and the money was really put behind him. Um, in, in the senatorial campaign. So it, actually, it, it may end up coming down to who the Democrats put their money behind um, and who and how they how, you know, they they'll have a lot of say in who who becomes that nominee. But um, no, I think I think he would probably have a good chance of, of beating Donald Trump um, ultimately in, in an election head to head. Do you think that um, he
0: could do well? Um, I think
2: he can, um, but I don't think it's all genuine. Um, Obviously with his background, um, you know, he's from the El Paso area. So, you know, he obviously has a lot of connection there. Um, But I think that he he plays up his his minority status a little more than it should be. And I think people have called him on that. But... um, but ultimately, I think he can. Um, I think there's enough people on the left that would um, that really don't care that much. Um, but I think that minority. I think that the minority ca- minorities will definitely get behind him uh, way before they would get behind Donald Trump. I think is against Donald Trump. Hands down, he would win the minority vote in probably almost every case.
0: All right, Jimmy Davis. Everyone, thank you for having Thanks me. I appreciate it. Me. Uh, before you go, why don't you why don't you tell everybody where you can be found, uh, where they can find your podcast, and also if you have any social media? Okay, I'm at where they uh, can uh, find my my website
2: is the moderate themoderatepodcast.com. I'm on uh, Twitter at the mod one. That's the number one, and I'm at Facebook dot com slash the moderate podcast. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
1: truth justice decency equality freedom democracy
0: she is a front runner for the democratic nomination for president in 2020 she's been at odds with trump on multiple occasions
1: you'll accuse me of lying so i need to be correct as best i can i do want you to be honest. And i'm not able to uh be rushed this fast it makes me nervous
0: this is kamala harris and this is her story <laughs> the candidates
1: donald trump has got to be defeated and i intend to do everything that i can with every other progressive in america making sure that that
0: happens their stories
2: we got a real opportunity to build something
0: and their fight for the white house
2: keep america great
1: exclamation point keep america great
0: this is presidential profile 2020.
1: at that inflection moment where were you this is that moment
0: it's our job to remind the american people that we're looking out for them
1: It's so all of you showing the country how you do this the special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy
0: kamra Devi harris was born on October 20th, 1964 to Tamil and Shyamala in Oakland, California. Kamala, who is mixed race, is of Jamaican descent. Kamala's name is a Sanskrit word for locust flower. She has one sibling, Maya. The family resided in Berkeley until Kamala was seven years old when her parents got a divorce. Shyamala received custody of Kamala. Harris graduated from the University of California. As an adult, Harris took an interest in law. She was Deputy Attorney General for Almeda County from 1990 to 1998, until 2004 when she ran for San Francisco District Attorney. She defeated two-term incumbent Terence ha- Hoanen. In April of that year, Isaac Espinoza, a San Francisco police Department officer was murdered. Harris controversially opted not to seek the death penalty for his murderer Eventually, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who previously served as the city's mayor, encouraged Harris to seek the death penalty But Harris still declined to do so Eventually, Espinoza's killer was given life in prison Harris founded the Back on Track initiative to get nonviolent drug offenders a second chance The program was controversial, as illegal immigrants were a part of it. However, Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger eventually signed it into law. Harris ran unopposed in 2007 for re-election. In 2008, rumors spread that Harris could be making a run for the presidency. She instead supported Illinois Senator Barack Obama over New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton. In 2008, Harris announced her candidacy for Attorney General of California in 2010. She faced off against Republican Los Angeles District Attorney Steve Cooley. A favorable year for Republicans made the race down to the wire. On election night, Jerry Brown defeated Meg Whitman easily in the gubernatorial election, and Barbara Boxer took down Carly Fiorina in the U.S. Senate race. This gave Harris a slight boost. On Election Day, she defeated Cooley by a narrow 46 to 45% margin. As Attorney General, she took a more tough-on-crime approach, supporting the death penalty more often, and enforcing strict anti-prostitution laws.
1: I've been consistent my whole career. Um... My career has been based on an understanding, one, that as a prosecutor my duty was to seek and make sure that the most vulnerable and voiceless among us are protected. And that is why I have personally prosecuted violent crime that includes rape, child molestation and homicide. In
0: 2014, Harris ran for re-election and faced off against former California Deputy Attorney General Ronald Gold, who ran as a Republican. She beat him by a comfortable 57 to 42 percent margin. In 2016, Harris was rumored to be chosen as the running mate to former Secretary of State, former New York Senator, and former First Lady Hillary Clinton, who was running on the Democratic line for President against Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. However, Harris declined the opportunity, instead running for the U.S. Senate seat left vacant by retiring Democrat Barbara Boxer. Harris faced one Democrat in the general election, Congresswoman Loretta Sanchez. Harris defeated Sanchez by a landslide 61 to 38 percent margin. Upon joining the U.S. Senate, she became a harsh critic of President Donald Trump. She came to promise for her scathing questions towards Trump cabinet picks.
1: But if that parent has a four-year-old child, what do you plan on doing with that child?
2: The child under law
1: goes to HHS for care and custody. They will be separated from their parent, Just like we do in the United States every day. So they will be separated from their parent.
0: In the Senate, Harris supported Medicare for All and took a fiscally and socially liberal stance on the issues. Harris became an instant rising star in the Democratic Party with many recommending her for president in 2020. And in January 2019, Harris officially made her announcement on ABC's Good Morning America.
2: First elected to the Senate in 2016, after 20 years as a prosecutor, including stints as the District Attorney for San Francisco and Attorney General of California.
1: And Senator Harris has also been laying the groundwork for a run for the White House. It is great to have you with us on this special holiday. Do you have an announcement you'd like to make? I am running for president of the United States. And (laughs) (laughs) And I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. You you mentioned
0: polls showed Harris amongst the top three Democrats nationally, along with former vice president and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden and Vermont Senator and former Congressman Bernie Sanders. Now she hopes to be the first woman president.
1: And I believe for all of us, history will say, and our children and our grandchildren will ask at that inflection moment, where were you?
0: Stay tuned to Politics Weekly every Tuesday and now President Review every Friday for a new segment for Presidential Profiles 2020.